Chapter 14 of The Girls of Gardenville by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 The Quest of the Halloween Pumpkin. 1. When in September the high school pupils first beheld the new teacher of English literature, they straightway succumbed to her many charms. It was not surprising. In the first place, it was evident that Miss Fairbairn had herself been a high school girl, and that at not remote period. And no one could help discovering that she was bright, sweet-tempered, and attractive, as well as most becomingly attired. Yet, although she was young and decidedly pretty, she carried herself with the gentle dignity that commanded the respect of even the most lawless of her pupils. From the earliest moment the boys were her willing slaves— the girls copied her clothes, her manners, and her mode of speech, and for the first time in the history of the school, matters went smoothly in the North Recitation Room. Gordon Winthrop, who hated books, and had crawled through the grammar school with the lowest possible marks, suddenly developed a tremendous liking for English literature, and even expressed a willingness to work overtime. Kitty Dillman, whose vocabulary fairly bristled with slang, began all at once to cultivate English in its purest form. And Edna Mercer, whose hair had always hung in her eyes, and whose shoestrings had dangled persistently from the primary grade up, suddenly appeared with an intellectual forehead, and with all shoestrings properly concealed from view. But among the entire forty pupils who admired and loved charming Miss Fairbairn, there was not another one as completely devoted as Rhoda Belknap was. Faithful Rhoda was unable to detach her adoring eyes from her teacher's face long enough to study her lessons, and was so overcome with confusion when Miss Fairbairn called upon her to recite that the little she knew of the lesson promptly fled at the sound of the beloved voice. Rhoda's wardrobe was limited, and her personal appearance had never given her very much concern, but all at once she began to make pathetic attempts to dress and to look as much as possible like Miss Fairbairn even going to bed at night once with her tip-tilted nose carefully and most uncomfortably bandaged down in order to make it more like Miss Fairbairn's beautifully straight one. "'Oh, I wish,' Rhoda would say to herself, "'I could do something perfectly splendid for her. I wish we had lovely new china and silver and handsome modern furniture and a French cook so I could invite her to dinner. The things are good enough for us,' but they'd never do for anyone like Miss Fairbairn. She looks as if she were used to having the very nicest things there are. It never occurred to Rhoda that her grandmother's fine old silver and her mahogany furniture darkened with age would make a far better impression than the longed-for newer articles. Nor did the girl realize that the mother's dainty, if somewhat old-fashioned, cookery was entirely good enough for anyone, even for her idolized teacher. So, envying for the first time in her life some of the other girls whose homes seemed so much grander than her own, Rhoda reluctantly abandoned the idea of inviting Miss Fairbairn to dine. At the same time, however, she resolved that she would do something quite out of the ordinary for the attractive young woman. She would save her life, in some way yet to be discovered, or die and leave her a fortune, or give a reception for her, or make her a sofa pillow, or a lemon pie, or something, to show how much she loved her. None of these schemes proving quite feasible, Rhoda consulted her friend Edna Mercer. Why not make her some wintergreen creams, 
asked always frank edna you know if it hadn't been for your creams you'd never in the world have been taken into the sweet sixteen she says she doesn't like em said edna dejectedly and there isn't another thing i'm sure of but of course rhoda's opportunity came at last as opportunities almost always do when little girls with big wistful eyes are watching for them rhoda was not the girl to let any opportunity escape miss fairbairn with a cleverly concealed idea of frustrating the boys plots for mischief was planning a little entertainment for halloween there were to be appropriate essays recitations and songs suited to the occasion and the room was to be suitably decorated when this point was reached difficulties arose i wish said miss fairbairn a few days before the event we could get a nice large pumpkin i haven't been able to find them at the stores it won't be halloween without at least one they're awfully scarce this year volunteered gordon winthrop it's a bad year for pumpkins but they've got some at Miller's Farm, about four miles down the Carp Road. But how can one get them? asked Miss Fairbairn. Has anyone a horse? There at last was Rhoda's chance. Perhaps she couldn't save Miss Fairbairn's life, but she could certainly go after the required pumpkin. Up went a frantically waving hand. I have, she cried delightedly. That is, my father has. I'll ask him about it tonight, and I can go tomorrow after school. I know he'll let me take it, and, oh, Miss Fairbairn, would you, wouldn't you like to go, too? Why, yes, said the teacher, smiling at the girl's eagerness. I haven't been for a drive for a long time, and they tell me that the country roads about Gardenville are very pretty. I shall be glad to go. For the rest of the afternoon, Rhoda was in such a state of bliss that when Miss Fairbairn asked her to name Tasso's principal work, she promptly replied, Pumpkins and then wondered why everybody laughed. Kitty Dillman, inwardly consumed with envy because of Rhoda's prospective drive with the popular teacher, walked home with the delighted girl after school. The horse was tethered upon the Belknap lawn, and jealous Kitty regarded him with a hostile eye. "'My,' said she, "'what a huge frame that animal has. "'You could hang a hat on him anywhere his bones stick out so.' Rhoda had never before noticed the prominence of the horse's bones, but she did observe it now. He certainly had his full complement of bones. His coat is fearfully rough, too, continued Kitty disparagingly. His legs look just like a Plymouth Rock rooster's, with all those bunches of hair on the ankles. Rhoda looked at the horse's ankles. Now that her attention was called to them, they did seem unnecessarily hairy. I don't suppose, pursued Kitty, that Miss Fairbairn has ever ridden behind a horse that didn't have his tail docked. Has he a name? Firefly, said Rhoda tersely. Firefly, scoffed Kitty. Firefly. Well, I suppose they named him that because it'd take a fire right at his heels to make him even think of flying. I wonder your father'd buy such a horse. He didn't, admitted Rhoda. He took him, and the buggy, too, in payment of a debt. A new buggy, of course, and a silver-mounted harness, queried Kitty maliciously. Really, said Rhoda with dignity, I never noticed either of them particularly. But when envious Kitty had departed, Rhoda, her eyes rudely opened, paid a visit of inspection to the barn. The plain harness was rough and rusty. The buggy was old and absolutely destitute of polish, 
and crestfallen Rhoda eyed them disconsolately. "'The buggy needs paint,' said her father, looking up from the strap he was mending. "'I intend to touch it up a little when I have time.' "'So you want the horse tomorrow?' "'Yes, of course, you may take him. "'He's safe enough, if he isn't exactly what you'd call handsome.' When Rhoda was putting away the tea things that evening, she spied upon the kitchen shelf a paintbrush and a can of paint. Looking at the label, she read, "'Smith's Quick-Drying Black Enamel.' "'The very thing!' cried she. "'I'll paint that old buggy tonight. "'Father'll be ever so glad to have it done, "'and it'll make all the difference in the world with its appearance.' And it did, but not quite as Rhoda had expected. By the dim light of the stable lantern, Rhoda applied the paint with a lavish brush, working upon the principle that if a little was good, more was certainly better. The thills, the hood, and the leather-covered seat were all given careful attention, and the entire buggy glistened with a new and surprising luster, when Rhoda, thoroughly satisfied with her work, stood back to admire the effect. "'But,' said she meditatively, "'it looks so much better than the horse does. "'I wonder if I couldn't improve him, too, in some way. "'I guess I'll get the grass shears "'and trim off those tufts of hair on his legs. "'He hasn't enough ambition to kick, so it'll be safe.' "'Firefly, after one inquiring glance at Rhoda, "'as she began to snip his two abundant fetlocks, "'paid no further attention to her. "'She trimmed his mane,' clipped his coat, wherever it seemed necessary, and cut off as much as she dared of his long, rather frowsy tail, hoping that Miss Fairbairn would consider it sufficiently docked. Then, tired but thoroughly satisfied, she went to bed. 2. There was an odd smile about Mr. Belknap's mouth, and a curious twinkle in his eye when he handed the reins to Rhoda at the schoolhouse door late the next afternoon but Rhoda was too thoroughly happy to notice either the smile or the twinkle. Miss Fairbairn, stifling a wild desire to laugh at the spectacle of the huge, ungainly horse, with prominent bones and a shaggy coat that appeared sadly moth-eaten in patches where Rhoda had wielded the scissors with too much vigor, climbed in beside the happy girl. Old Firefly moved off with evident reluctance and ambled slowly down the street. He had odd little ways of his own, too, that Rhoda found exasperating. He had once been a delivery horse, and still clung to the habit of stopping at people's gates, waiting for imaginary parcels to be delivered, and he refused to move on until sufficient time had elapsed for an imaginary boy to jump out, run around to the back door, deliver eggs or butter, and then climb in again. As he seemingly remembered every one of his former owner's old patrons, Rhoda began to fear that she would never get anywhere but he traveled better when the country road was reached, although his driver was still far from being satisfied. "'We'll never get there at this rate,' said she. "'He's fearfully slow today. I've clucked at him until my tongue is lame.' "'Let me cluck for a while,' offered Miss Fairbairn. Firefly twitched one ear forward to show that he appreciated the change, but his gait remained the same. "'If you'll take the reins,' said Rhoda, "'I believe I'll get out and run along beside him. "'He'll think I'm another horse, and it may encourage him a little.' "'Miss Fairbairn, inwardly convulsed with mirth, but not daring to smile, "'obligingly took the reins, and Rhoda ran lightly along beside the horse "'until she was quite out of breath. "'The effects of this encouragement lasted for fifteen minutes, however, "'and by that time Rhoda was ready to try it again.' 
This time she had an inspiration. Remembering that her father said that Firefly disliked the cars, the girl ran close beside him, imitating the sound of a locomotive and hissing, Choo-choo-choo! in short, sharp puffs in his startled ear. The result was far beyond her expectations. Firefly promptly dashed down the road at his very best speed, a speed not to be despised, leaving astonished Rhoda to trudge along alone in the dust. Miss Fairbairn, not at all frightened, but almost uncontrollably amused, kept the horse in the road and finally succeeded in checking his mad flight. Rhoda, hot and tired, with her hat under her arm, her hair in her eyes, and one stocking down, climbed into the buggy. "'You poor tired thing,' sympathized Miss Fairbairn. "'Oh, I'm all right,' panted Rhoda, pinning up her flying locks. "'But I was afraid you'd be thrown out and killed.' "'There was no danger,' returned the teacher. "'I seem to be glued to the seat. "'Has this buggy been painted recently?' "'Yes,' said Rhoda, "'last night with quick-drying enamel.' "'Did—did you put it on pretty thick?' "'Yes, kind of thick,' confessed Rhoda. "'You see, I thought if I used lots "'that there'd be more of the quick-drying part "'to dry it quicker. "'But I'm afraid it's still pretty damp "'because all sorts of things seem to be sticking to it outside, "'dry leaves and bits of straw and feathers, "'and it's almost white with dust besides.' It looks perfectly disreputable, and, oh, dear, I wanted it to be so nice for you. That's why I did it. It is nice, said Miss Fairbairn consolingly. I've always lived in a city, a great big one, I mean, where I couldn't go into the country after pumpkins. I'm enjoying this immensely. It isn't quite like any other ride I've ever had. And you wouldn't like it better if we had rubber tires, a silver harness, and a horse with a docked tail? Not a bit, said Miss Fairbairn heartily. I particularly disliked docked tails. So do I, confessed Rhoda. I'm glad I didn't succeed very well in docking fireflies. Did you try? Yes, with the grass scissors, but I didn't get much off because I had to hold the lantern with one hand and work the scissors with the other. There's the brown farm, said Rhoda twenty minutes later. The next is Miller's, where we get the pumpkin. "'That's the roof of Miller's barn that you can see beyond those trees.' "'Why, we're almost there,' said Miss Fairbairn. "'It doesn't seem as if we'd come four miles.' Rhoda stopped her steed just outside Mr. Miller's gate and pulled herself with a violent jerk from the sticky seat. Her companion, however, was more firmly attached. "'We shan't need,' said Rhoda, when she had succeeded in detaching Miss Fairbairn's skirt from the adhesive cushion, to tie the horse.' We'll let him nibble the grass while we're in the house. Miss Fairbairn secured a large golden pumpkin, and both girls were glad to accept hospitable Mrs. Miller's offer of a pitcher of fresh milk and a plateful of big, crisp cookies. They're just out of the oven, said Mrs. Miller. It's lucky you happened along. It certainly is, said Miss Fairbairn, with her prettiest smile, for we're as hungry as bears. When Rhoda, with the big pumpkin under her arm, fairly emerged from the house, the horse had apparently imitated the erratic insect for which he was named, and had flown away. At any rate, there was nothing in sight but a farmer who was trudging alongside the road. "'Have you seen a large bay horse?' asked Rhoda anxiously. "'Yes,' said the man. "'There's one tied up to Brown's fence, just a piece down the road.' "'Oh!' cried Rhoda, in a tone of relief. "'Somebody has stopped him and tied him up. 
You're sure it's a bay horse and a buggy? Yes, a buggy, too, replied the man. I seen em when I come by. Then it's all right. Come on, Miss Fairbairn. I can easily carry the pumpkin, and we'll get in at Brown's. There, sure enough, in the fast-gathering dusk, they saw the horse securely tied to the fence. When Miss Fairbairn was seated in the buggy, Rhoda unfastened the strap and climbed in. Firefly, without any urging, started at a lively pace toward town. "'How splendidly he travels!' said Miss Fairbairn, admiringly. "'No one could ask a horse to make better time.' "'You see,' explained Rhoda, "'he knows he's going home. "'He really looks quite respectable, too, now that the sun's gone down.' "'It seems to me that he looks fatter and smoother,' observed the teacher. "'Could the grass he ate have made such a difference in so short a time?' Possibly, suggested Rhoda, Mr. Miller gave him some oats, and they've begun to swell. I've heard— Oh, Rhoda, don't go so fast, interrupted her companion. Couldn't you pull him in a little? I don't believe it's quite safe. There, that's better. He's doing splendidly, isn't he? remarked Rhoda. We've passed every other vehicle on the road so far. I wish the girls could see us now. "'You certainly don't need to do any choo-chooing in his ear "'when he's headed in this direction. "'Really, I wouldn't have imagined the old horse had so much spirit. "'Strange what a difference the direction makes, "'but it shows what humbugs horses are. "'I suppose he thinks that a supper ahead is worth two suppers behind. "'Pull him in a little, Rhoda. "'I think he must have heard me say supper. "'I made quite a good job of it, didn't I, "'when I trimmed the fur off his ankles?' "'asked Rhoda complacently. "'They look quite neat. "'The buggy looks better some way, too.' "'I suppose,' said the teacher, "'that the wind has blown the fuzz off "'and the paint has had time to dry. "'But, dear me, at this rate "'we'll get home sooner than we want to. "'Firefly seems to think he's doing a four-mile race.' "'In spite of Rhoda's efforts to check him, "'the horse continued to cover the ground "'at an almost uncomfortably lively pace.' making it necessary for Rhoda to devote all her attention to guiding him safely past the vehicles that increased in number as the girls approached Gardenville. Firefly turned of his own accord into one of its busiest streets. "'Why, Firefly!' cried Rhoda a few moments later. "'Where in the world are you going? Back! Back up!' But Firefly declined to back. Instead, seemingly with the ease of long practice, he turned in at a broad driveway and trotted straight in at the open door of a fine stable. A man who had been lounging near the door looked in astonishment at the two bewildered girls. "'Where's Mr. Bradford?' asked he. "'Surely he'd never let you drive that horse.' "'Mr. Bradford?' gasped Rhoda. "'Why, this is my horse.' "'Not much it ain't,' returned the man, eyeing Rhoda and her companion with suspicion." "'That's Mr. Bradford's dandy Jim, and there isn't a faster horse in the state of Michigan. "'Mr. Bradford went out to Brown's on the Carp Road to see about getting a cow, "'and I've been waiting here to put the horse up. "'Steady there, Jim.' "'Then,' said Miss Fairbairn, noticing that Rhoda was too overcome to speak, "'I'm very much afraid we've stolen his horse. "'We mistook it for ours. "'No wonder we got home so quickly.' "'I seen your turnout when you was driving by,' said the groom, "'grinning at the idea of anyone mistaking the pride of the country for poor old Firefly. "'Where did you leave your nag?' "'Rhoda explained. "'He must have strayed off in the other direction,' said the groom. 
Nobody but a blind man would steal him. I guess I'd better drive you and your pumpkin home. Then I'll go after Mr. Bradford. He's pretty mad by now, I guess, and hunt up your horse for you. Maybe Mr. Bradford's found him. This proved to be the case, but strange to relate, Mr. Bradford discovered at a glance that Firefly was not Dandy Jim. As the groom suspected, Mr. Bradford was in neither an amiable nor an enviable frame of mind, for he feared, of course, that someone had deliberately stolen his valuable horse and abandoned the worthless one. It galled him, too, to find himself compelled to drive back to town in such a vehicle and behind such a horse. But when the groom met him still some distance from town and explained matters, he laughed until the tears rolled down his cheeks. He went himself to return the old horse to Rhoda, whom he had always known, assuring her that he bore no grudge, and gravely inviting her to act as one of the judges at the next agricultural fair. "'I'm sure you'd make an absolutely impartial judge of horses,' said he, with merry twinkling eyes, "'and that's a thing we've always needed.' But Rhoda declined. "'I'd rather paint carriages,' said she, pulling a feather off the sticky buggy. "'I don't suppose I'll ever hear the last of this.' "'No,' said Mr. Bradford. "'It's much too good to keep. "'But as long as the joke is on all three of us, "'I guess we'll be able to stand it.' "'Well,' said Rhoda, "'there's one good thing about it at any rate. "'After this experience, "'I shan't be afraid to ask Miss Fairbairn to dinner, "'for she seems to be able to stand most anything.' End of chapter 14